Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Alrighty. Hello, hello. This is Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. Hello, my friend. What's going on, Alora? I'm Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. I'm so happy to see you once again. Always. Me too. So it is July 8th. We have are, are back into crazy yes. explosive COVID stuff happening in the world yeah. right now. I'm in Miami. Hospitals are full, you know, came from yep. Texas. Hospitals, there are full on the news yeah. this morning. They said that Austin and San Antonio have gone back to rationing tests because they have, mm. they don't have enough around. The biggest hospital in the country is in Houston and it's full. They've stopped all, you know, elective surgeries, yeah. you know, and, and so like, it's, it's really, and at the same time, apparently we're leaving the WHO and like all kinds of other crazy stuff going on. Schools right now are in a big, huge debate about returning universities yeah. or was it Harvard and Stanford, I think, are suing the administration because they're going to kick out foreign students who can't attend class in person. So like tons of stuff going on, wow. but we're definitely like, we're, I mean, we're not even to the like quote unquote second wave yet. This is still first wave. And so exactly. it's been a really, it's been a really weird week, a weird couple of weeks, right? I mean, yeah. I think there was this crazy sense of security that things were kind of quieting down. Mm -hmm. You know, New York is, is definitely looking better and things like that. And, and I just feel like so much of the rest of the country took for granted that, you know, they weren't looking that bad. And yeah. God knows here in Miami, it's a mess. It's, it's pretty terrifying. So how's, yeah. how's it looking in Georgia, man? Georgia's, uh, so well, Georgia is ramping up to head back to school um, at the beginning of August. And so one of our counties um, who originally had set plans in place and it, masks were going to be optional until, like you said, the new reports started coming out. Um, now they sent back out the mandatory masks um, to come back into the schools. And of course, um, you got people drinking that Kool-Aid. Parents are starting a petition against mandatory masks. And I'm just like, like, okay. And that leads me to the bag topic this week. Okay. Hey, I didn't even know I was setting you up. Were, you were already setting it up. How in the world do we get back to the creation of a positive community? Oh, you just hit me dead on. It's so interesting that you ask that because this has been, this has been such a hard question that I keep coming back to because for me, so much of the, so much of the mask debate is really just asking like, why do I have to convince you to try to be a decent person? Like, wh like, why do I have to ask that? Why is it necessary 
to have that imposed. You know, the whole, and, and, and the whole argument around masks isn't, hey, I'm going to protect myself. It's I'm going to protect other people, right? You wouldn't, if you're a smoker, nobody who's a smoker thinks it's okay to blow cigarette smoke in someone else's face, right? We don't think it's okay to throw our garbage out in the street and just leave it on the sidewalk. We don't think it's okay to, you know, walk our dog and not pick up after. Now, the truth is there are people who do all of those things, but even the people who do those things rarely would actually, you know, stand up and advocate that those are things that everybody should be okay doing. So to me, the mass debate is, it's part of this. It's how, how do I show up as a good neighbor in a community of people? Like we live in a social context. This is not like, if you want to live in the woods, Okay, you're not, I mean, you know, no mask necessary. Go, knock yourself out. But when you're like living in a communal space, and of course, the denser the space, the more you're impacting others. But if you're living in community, I feel like you have a responsibility to be a positive contributing member to that community kind of the same philosophy I have about paying taxes, right? Like you, if you want the benefits and you want to have kind of that, if you want to be a member of a society that derives collective benefits, then you have to do your part by positively contributing to what the collective action, you know, to what collective action is needed. So to ask this question, this is a, such a hard, hard question to ask because I don't think, um, I don't think everybody has the same view of it, right? I think, and I, and I, and I don't, you know, we, we try not to get too political when we talk, but I also don't know that we can do this without getting political because I think part of it is very much, is very deeply driven into our political polarization, right? Yeah. Um, Ezra Klein's latest book, Why We're, Pol- uh, Why We're So, Why We're Divided, I think, um, is about polarization. And it's a really fantastic look. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't categorize polarization as fundamentally, you know, bad, but it, it, it does recognize that polarization, if you think about it in terms of magnets, is just about extreme ends of, of you know, a spectrum, right? And so it's not that um, it's not that it's bad that there's these extremes, but the problem is, is that we have a system and frankly a society that wasn't designed to work well. It, it assumed the ability to compromise more. And when we have this extreme polarization, we eliminate the opportunity and we minimize the overlap that exists because of this polar extreme polarization um, that that really hinders our ability to compromise. And the truth is, is that if you're living in community with other people, you have to compromise, right? You don't, you know, again, like I live in, you, you live in a house, so, so you have a different sense of, of sort of space, right? But I live in an apartment building. There's nine other you know, there's nine apartments on this floor, right? I can hear my neighbors. I can hear the people upstairs. I know the people downstairs can, you know, when, when my dog is like dropping his bone on the floor and it's clacking, I think to myself, oh God, my downstairs neighbors must hate me because we live in, we, we live too closely together and we're too interconnected. You know, I can't, I went to get on the elevator the other day and like the door opened and there's a woman there who's, you know, not wearing a mask. I'm like, okay, I'll wait for the next elevator. (laughs) But the thing is, is that we don't, I don't think we have, have come back to really challenge this underlying question of what does it mean 
to live in community with people because I don't know. So, so your question about being more positive, I don't know that it, it has to be about being positive. I think it has to be about acknowledging our interconnectedness, right? It doesn't, we don't always have, we're not always going to get along with the people that we're in community with. We're not always going to agree or see eye to eye. We're still going to have political differences. All of those things still exist. But I think simply recognizing that we, you know, we're in too small of a pool together to, you know, do a cannonball in the middle of everything and, and then be surprised when somebody gets splashed. Like that's not how we live, especially in, in sort of, you know, urban and suburban environments. Again, if you're super rural, you have a slightly different, you know, community paradigm that you're dealing with. Um, but I think, I think for me, it's about coming back to that interdependency, right? I, you know, and we can look at it any way you want, right? In your day, how many times do you do something that involves depending on someone else, right? Whether you're ordering food, whether you are, you know, getting groceries delivered, whatever it is, right? There's something you're doing that's got a symbiotic relationship with somebody else, even if it's just a brief transactional of a brief, you know, in a, in a brief transaction. And the truth is that's still part of being in a community together. And I don't, I really struggle with this one because our, our seeming unwillingness to do it, I don't think it's an inability. I think it's an unwillingness to do it is, um, it might be the thing that kind of pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, so, so it's funny. And the reason why that this has come up as of late is it's not just around even just the masks thing. It's the going out. It's the getting back to normal. It's the what happened to it being okay to just be a good person? Like, and, and why is every conversation, like, and you brought it up, like every topic is now politicized or has this undertone trying to pit us in these boxes of, you know, right or wrong. And it's like that, then to your point, it's where did values, like, again, understanding that, I just want to be a good person to those around me, right? Whatever happened to that foundation. And that's why I believe I'm just super sensitive in this season, particularly around this, this coming election. And I read a post of this guy today. Um, he's, he's, um, you know, family lineage, um, immigrant, this, that, and other be super MAGA. Um, and he likes, he pulls in all the videos all the post over Donald Trump's 70 year life and uses them like they're brand new videos and see, he's done the most for black people. And this guy is young. Like this guy is like, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. But then I'm just thinking to myself post, but do you denounce racism? Like, are you against racism? As a human being on planet Earth, racism in the simplest form of the word, can you be fully against it? And I believe in some instances, and, and the reason why I said positive is because the willingness to show up inherently with the right energy in the right headspace to be a 
contributing community member, I believe there's a willingness that you have to approach it with, here I go again. But there's the willingness to, you know what, I'm going to be a contributing member of the society and I'm going to make sure I do my part and be accountable and own what I'm supposed to do and how I show up. And and you're you're right. This this, this shared communal. We're going to show up for each other, and it it seems like this every time, every conversation, every news thing. It's like it's corroding itself. And then in a weekend um, where one part of the country is celebrating independence, and everybody else is just as confused as they were uh, around Juneteenth. Um, this tragedy happens in several major city communities where these young children die from gun violence. Yeah. But instead of people going on the side of outrage that a child just died. Was killed. Let, let's let's, let's killed. Them off the they, they killed. They got, they were murdered. Yeah. These kids, these straight book, they were, it was shootings that happened. They were killed. Yes. Instead of that outrage that these children were killed. See, black on black crime see black lives matter movement is racist hate i'm like what is what in the world like why would you a child just got killed like and that's where you go like you're a horrible person and i i will call you that to your face if your immediate response is like oh my god yeah oh my god okay we 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 got some issues in this country if we can just glance over that child killed something's wrong with the movement some something's wrong with the movement like what well and and we get well and and you know let's let's not forget that the rest of the backdrop was you know what a garden for confederate statues and like i mean you know like there there's there's or or hold, holding up holding up a bill because it includes you know an amendment about renaming military bases named after confederates you're a black man in the military like seriously? oh my god i i was like that's that's and and the crazy part about it is the generals was like cool like it would have been done the week somebody was like yeah y'all right boom done that's what that like I, that's why i loved being in the army when when president obama said repeal don't ask don't tell within a week we had a briefing and we were training our soldiers guess what you're still in the united states army don't care who you love don't care how you love them guess what still a soldier this is still your military occupational specialty you still got a job to do love who you love it's no longer you can be free bring them to the picnic do whatever you need to do now no longer hey love who you love right anybody got any questions nah we good sir boom let's ride yeah. That was it. That was it. And that, but it's oh god. So you know it's and it's interesting. <laughs> so so it's so funny. So um I'm, you know I think there are so many things. Um there's a there's a great book by Dan Piper who used to be President Obama's uh you know uh, communications director. It's called Untrumping America. And and in addition to the more fun part of you know stuff. Again, keeping in mind that it was written before all hell broke loose. So he was a little bit, you know, pessimistic about the odds of, of the election going in a way that isn't going to make us all want to get drunk on November 4th. Um, but what I really do like about the book, I think is very, very useful, is that in each section, he talks about the things we need to do to prevent 
the next Trump. His whole point is that ending Trumpism starts when Trump leaves office. It doesn't begin, like we're, we're not waiting for things to go back to normal. He, his, his role has exposed weaknesses, um, places where we have norms that are not laws. Like, and so he really takes the book and breaks it down into the different things that we need to do to ensure that we don't find ourselves in this position again. And in each chapter, he ends it with, you know, groups, activist groups, organizations that are doing work in this space so that you can contribute, you can go volunteer, you can get involved, whatever it is. And so part of what, what I like about thinking about it in those ways is that, you know, I think there are different aspects of this, right? We, again, we're back to, we live in community. Now that means different things to different people. There are different priorities, right? People who have kids have a very different view of their role and their expectation for that community because, you know, like most people who have kids, their life kind of revolves around school and, and kids activities and things like that. Those of us who don't have kids or who do other things have a different view of what that looks like. So what, what I, think is is maybe the only thing we can truly do right now around this is find something that means something to you about your community and about being involved in your community and then get involved in that and and again there are tons of options right it could be you know helping register voters or it could be something like hyper political like that or it could just be hey you know what i'm going to organize a you know pick up dog poop in the park day with like the, the community because like I'm a dog mom and like I go to the park and I think holy mackerel what this is is not nice um you know so whatever it is I think there's there are different things that we can do that help tie us back to our community um and I think that's in some ways the only real action that we can take but having said that that's not going to convince someone who doesn't feel a responsibility to the community they live in to suddenly care. Now, some people might see it and be like, oh, hey, you know what? That's actually a good idea. I never thought about that. Or yeah, you know, that problem's been annoying me. I should I should go talk to them and see what's going on. Now that's hard, you know, when we're social distancing and you can't, you know, really see groups out in public kind of doing stuff together. So that certainly complicates matters. Um, and I think that to some extent, that's part of what's making a lot of this really feel more um, surfaced right now, right? It's kind of like, you know, online trolls who can hide behind anonymity, right? Like you get all this toxicity when you're disconnected. And I think us feeling disconnected right now is heightening our sense of toxicity. I think it's part of why we're seeing like some of these ridiculous debates about masks that are citing the same kind of crazy pseudoscience BS that doesn't make any sense. But I think that the reality is, A, as, as we, get beaten into us in coaching training you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped oh, I and i it. think and i think that i think that especially for people who feel a strong sense of calling to improve things i think that can sometimes be the hardest thing for us to learn to accept is that you cannot help someone who doesn't want to be helped that's my plight that's it my is. plight. I was just, I was just I telling it. somebody, I was and just I telling it. somebody the other day, I was like, oh my God, I know what I am. And I said, I know why I get so frustrated is because I can see it. And, and, and I love your point because early coaching um, clients would always hear me say, they would always say, how can I get involved? How can I, can I get involved? And I was like, strategic volunteerism. 
And they were like, what is that? I was like, I was like, I didn't know what it was at the time. It just sounded good. But admit, <laughs> to your point, get involved in stuff that doesn't seem hard for you to do. So what skill do you have today? Find a group where they could use that skill. And, and again, and I always tell people, I love soup kitchens, love them, love them to death. They're for somebody who loves to, like you said, the park, picking up poop in parks. Yeah. There are people for that. That's not my calling. Right. Mine, I want to be involved with the organization who is teaching and building character. I want, I want that volunteerism because I can do that 24 hours a day. No sleep. I need, I need hugs and high fives to keep me rolling, right? Sanit sanitize hugs and high fives today, <laughs> right? Wearing masks. But, but, that's so, my thing. but okay, so, so let's look at that yep. example, right? Yep. So there are groups like Big Brothers Big Sister. There yep. are tons of church tons. organizations. Tons. Yep. Tons. There's tons of stuff happening at local communities. So yep. what I love about that example is that once you're clear on the part that really motivates mm -hmm. you, then you can start looking around what's in my community yep. what can i actually get involved in that matters and i think that that that's kind of what we have to do because here's here's the other thing that I, i've been thinking about a lot lately um i've been reading the um the singapore story which is the the autobiography of the original prime minister of singapore and it's interesting because singapore when they were getting off the ground back in in the late 50s after being let go as a british colony um you know they were they were massively isolated they were nobody expected them to survive they thought they were just going to you know collapse under their own weight they couldn't feed themselves they had no natural resources they were a mess and one of the first things they realized they had to do was to um get some military defense in place because the, the brits were going to leave and they were going to take their navy's naval ships with them and they were they were just going to leave them sitting out in the middle of the indian ocean by themselves and so what they did was they actually reached out to israel to get help from the Israeli army to help build their military training program. And so one of the things that they did, because they were using Israel's model, was national service. And everybody went into national service. And it's such a, it's, it's one of those things that is super highly contestable. I've always kind of actually felt that everybody, it, that it should be compulsory, that there should be some kind of national service. It doesn't be military, it could be domestic, it could be any number of things, it could be AmeriCorps. Like, you know, there are so many things that need to be done. But I do feel like when I, when I meet someone who has done some type of civic service like that, whether it's AmeriCorps, Teach for America, or the military, anything else, I think what I consistently see is a strong sense of understanding your role in a larger community because that's what those things foster. Um, and the truth is, I think we used to see that in churches. I think the toxicity and the weaponization of religion has actually undermined that a lot. And that, um, and if I were, if I were Christian and a preacher's kid, that might be one of the things that breaks my heart about, you know, modern religion is that I feel like it's really, um, it's really undermined some strong, like communal value that it really, really used to serve. And now it's a lot of just, you know, hate and finger pointing and stuff that's, that's not, um, that undermines kind of that, we all rise together, we all sing together. And I think that to me is where it all comes back to, right? Because either we get through this together or we end up in pieces on the road together. Like those are kind of the only choices. And, and, you know, having everything else in our political system, the increased, you know, divide between, you know, the, the elimination, the, 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 the disappearance of the middle class, the extreme, you know, financial, like we have, and I think that's also part of this problem, right, is that we have an increasingly 
removed group of 1% or less than one percenters who've kind of taken the position of, hey, as long as I'm okay, who gives a shit about you? Um, you the rest of you are on your own, like I'm fine. So that's, that's what it is. And, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, I think between social media and television, we've idolized and reality TV, we've, we've placed those individuals and that attitude at such a pinnacle of reverence that we've adopted that at the lower levels where to be fair, we can't afford it. Like it's one thing, you know, if, if you're sitting on a few billion dollars and, and, and you want to hide out in your own private island, okay, you know, I might have some trouble not judging the quality of your humanity, but at the end of the day, you can probably get away with that, right? I mean, you can do it. But those of us who do have to live in cities, we do have to walk on the sidewalk. We do have to be able to leave our car parked on the street with some degree of faith that it's still going to be there in the morning. Like those of us, like the rest of us cannot afford to say, oh, hey, great. We're going to take this very Ayn Rand, we're all out for ourselves, like screw everybody else kind of philosophy on life because that's not how we live. Yeah. You know, and it begs to, to understand that as we do this, you know, intentional volunteerism, as this intentional getting involved in our communities, just bringing somebody with you, right? Not, and even in that, not being isolated in the way you serve, because um, there were moments after getting out of the military where I began to judge people's level of effort. And I was like, man, what are you doing, dude? Like, they're here, right? It's like, give, give them a cookie for showing up. And just because, and, and to your point, I had a college roommate that was from um, that was from Vietnam, and before he could leave the country, he had to serve, and and literally they he was like, y'all have military recruiters here, and he was like, we don't have recruiters in Vietnam. He was like, everybody has to do some type of civil service for two years after graduating from high school, and then at that two year mark, you make a decision to continue civil service or you go to school. He was like, that's just, that's just the MO. And he was like, 50% retention rate. Yeah. He was like, so they never have to recruit. Like it's 50% retention. Like people are like, Hey, I would have never had this livelihood if I wouldn't have done this. So I'm going to stay. And so it's just, but everybody right. has that communal service mindset. And it's just, it's just a thing. He bought well, a car. That example yeah. is great too, because it's also a literal community. One hundred percent. A huge part of the reason fifty percent stay is because now that's where your friends are. Like those are the people that you live with and you work with and you learn from, and yep. and the people that you respect and the people who have yep. skills that you want. Like all of a sudden, now you are in a smaller community, yep. very tight knit that does have a common set of values and, and yep. things like that. But it's it's the, that dual purpose, right? And I think that is. Again, I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to go on one of my notorious anti-television and anti-media like rants like that because I do think that we have fetishized this like super selfish elite behavior, this lifestyles of the rich and famous mentality, this Kardashian kind of crap so much. And I don't think we have fully recognized that we have raised now multiple generations of people who've watched that stuff have internalized those attitudes towards life and other people and materialism and casual consumption and completely like toxic, you know, behavior. And 
we we now have to live with what that means and it's not good like it's like it's yeah. actually pretty dangerous and and one of the things that i'm and i'm constantly um and have be, been revisiting over the past probably several months is looking at our found the this america's founding documents and the word usage and and uh, all the soliloquies and all the other craziness um and how you know over the years you the recordings of people pontificating um and one of the things that i'm really clear on is that we've compartmentalized how we define and you said it already how do we have communal definitions that we all can live by and bringing all those things back to the table when we say we see a document we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and and but the context and it's like and i love the, the conversation when people talk about religion as well and you you try to quote a scripture i mean you weaponize religion and you weaponize scripture and people like me who actually you know study um the things that well i always say context is key and when was that written who was it written for and what was the context in which it was spoken i said because if you try to apply it as a weapon or to move somebody to the left or to the right using something like that you have just taken away from the essence of the message for in the context in which it was said and i always tell you i said you have to be careful with that and even in these movements and anything else the context of something as simple as using the words black lives matter stop being smart reel back your your education in all eight years it took you to get your undergrad reel that in and basic elementary spelling bee the word black the word lives the word matter what are the definitions and that's what this population of people that's what we in america we're looking at each other i want a laura to matter in everything about her I, everything about her, the way she loves, the the way she walks her dog. The way I, want, I want everything about Allure, the stand-up desk, the treadmill that's coming, all of it needs to matter in her life. But And I know because the person of her, she wants the exact same thing for me. The exact same thing. And I think that's when we talk about community, can we go into a conversation and unequivocally say that about the person across from us. And if you pause, you got some stuff to work on. You got some stuff to work on. And I want people to, I, I just want people to start there. So this actually kind of reminds me of, of a conversation I had um, this weekend where someone had a, a knee jerk reaction to someone else that was kind of like snarky and not terribly kind. Um, you know, and it, it reminded me when I, when I was first uh, working with uh, one of my first offshore teams, which were uh, all based in the Ukraine, we had a lot of people who were, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, not super comfortable in English and they were being hurled into positions where they, you know, suddenly had to speak to clients and there were lots of faux pas and a lot of very awkward moments and things like that. And, and, and so, you know, we kind of established this guideline and it's, and it's so funny because at the time I felt like it might be overly simplistic. And now I come back to it 20, well, not 20, 12 years later and think, Jesus, everybody should have to do that. And it was before I open my mouth 
Is what I'm about to say true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if it is not all three of those things, I shut my mouth. And you can have, you can, and the thing is, is I think this is, and I think people will dismiss this sometimes as being like overly simplistic. Well, not everything, you know, not everything I have to say is going to be kind. Well, no, you can have a hard conversation and deliver a very difficult message and still be kind. And it could absolutely be necessary. And then you get into the true thing and truth kind of dicey. So sometimes I'll say, is it, is it a fact? You know, like you have to be really, you have to really drill down into the true part sometimes because you get into a lot of subjective stuff that can get you messy. So, but I think that's still kind of a, a really useful thing. And again, like I said, at the time, I way underestimated how, like how important or valuable or maybe meaningful that really was. But all these years later, I look around and I think, you know, that's not a terrible filter. Dust it off. We need yeah. a webinar. We need a webinar because I, I think you, you need to record, you need to record that. And I will put it on auto repeat for every single workshop that I do for anybody, particularly around when you, when you say that it makes people, and, and this, I've been really huge on this thing around conscious communication, hearing it before you say it. And, and something as simple as, is it true or is it factual? But that second one, is it necessary? Like, sit, like it, if you stop at necessary and you have longer than a three second pause, it's not. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's not. And I, think, and I think, you know, one of the things, and this, so part of the reason I like this filter now more yeah. than I used because I feel like I see people who rely on sarcasm a lot. Mm -hmm. And you know, as somebody with a sharp tongue, I can appreciate that sometimes sarcasm can be funny and there's a lot of like humor to be found there. But there's also a lot of like genuine meanness that can be hidden in it and it can be used in a really, um, in a really kind of cruel way. And so, you know, I have no problem with the, um, you know, wise ass, oh, it's, you know, like really funny that's not like, cruel but back to back to the point of like it shouldn't be or i i don't say should but i don't for me i do not want my mouth to be so out of control that people are afraid to be genuine with me because they don't trust that some kind of sharp tongue zinger is going to come out of my mouth and just slice them up before my brain engages and I stop myself. Like I actually used to have, you know, and I, I wrote this in my, in the email that I wrote last week, right? I used to have a really bad temper, like really bad. And I did not do a good job of controlling it. And it really took starting to understand how people were seeing me and how people were, were not giving me information and how it was actually really hurting you know, my, my relationships, my career potential, like all kinds of things to be seen as someone who could not control her temper. Like that was, that was really problematic. And so having to learn to stop and think before I open my mouth is hard, but it's not the end of the world. And I think too many of us uh, think it's uh, more important to be quick and funny than maybe more uh, paced and considerate. And I don't think that's actually true. 
Yeah, no, I, th I think, you know, again, just communication and community um, and the way we do it, there's, there's a common language that we, we should all aspire to get to. Um, just again, just so we can be relational. Um, and, and, I, and I really believe that people are really boxing themselves into um, what, and I'm sorry about this, all of a sudden the guy across the street moved out. Um, but it's, it's crazy because if me and you can get to a place where kindness has a sound and we can really connect through the emotion and the energy and the way we're communicating, all this talking past each other and missing each other, all that becomes a thing of the past. If I know you're showing up with kindness, if I know you're showing up because you believe you have a necessary truth that's, that you need to share. And as I experience you, I'll hear it the right way. And we develop these community filters that from, from the way we grew up, like Alora's not saying that to hurt me. I know Alora cares about me deeply. And the only reason why she, I know what, when it came out of her mouth, it was for a reason. And it's only to help me. And instead of, I wonder why she did that. She didn't have to do it that way. Why, why did she do home? She's not kind. Like, God, stop, get out your feelings. Get well, curious. but to be fair, to be fair too, right? Part of yeah. it, and I think this is the other, this is a fundamental aspect of the question of community, right? Is that, you know, we talked about this before where like when things get difficult, we have to rely on a basic amount of trust or, or um, just general kind of simpatico with other people to remind yourself, look, they're not trying to be a jerk. Like that they're, because I think it's so easy to, to read into people's intentions. And usually that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, and so sometimes you just have to be able to, to rely on the fact that, look, I know that he's a good person. So yeah, my feelings are hurt with what he said, but I can give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't intend to hurt me. Whereas, you know, how many times have you seen someone like strangers who just automatically assume that someone else's intention was to be a jerk. And you're like, whoa, I don't think he meant to be rude. He was just, and like, for me, that one is one of those things that's really hard to process in the moment because I, so I don't tend to assume that strangers are, are intending, like I'm, I'm kind of inclined to give people the benefit of the doubt um, until they give me a reason not to. Um, and uh, my ex-husband actually was totally the opposite. He assumed people's intentions were nefarious until he knew them well enough to grant them an exception. Um, and so like we would have these weird, like I had this like very strange kind of cognitive dissonance around these, these social settings we would find ourselves in. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, why did you react that way? That doesn't, like, I don't understand. And he's like, well, he's, you know, he, you know, did X, Y, Z. I'm like, well, okay. I, that's not what I saw. <laughs> Like, that's not what I saw at all. But again, you, like, if you don't have, I think, a basic kind of recognition of, look, we're all just in this together. And you know what? I can believe that, you know what? Most people are doing the best they can at any given moment at any given time. And again, this is, you know, another one of those Brene Brown nuggets that like hit me like a ton of bricks is, you know, what happens if you just believe that people are doing the best 
they can. And you know, all the people who piss you off or get under your skin or push your buttons, what if you just choose to believe they're doing the best they can? I love that. Man, that's what we do. It's hard. It is hard, but it's also actually really kind of freeing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, is. and it's and and they're, you know, for the most part. You know, I've really spent a lot of time on that one because the first time I read it, when I was going through my original Brene Brown binge, I was like, (gasps) yeah, oh God. And it really kind of like hit me in the gut. And, and I've, I realized though, and it was interesting because it's, uh, her husband actually said the same thing to her when, when she asked him if he thought that was true. Um, and he said, I don't know if it's true or not but I do know that my life is better if I choose to believe it. And I think that's a totally, cause the truth is we know there are people who don't bother, right? Like yep. again, we're back to people who litter in the street Sometimes yep. just being, you know, selfish, but the truth is it doesn't help me. And I don't show up better if I look at that and get pissed off or have a judgment about it. Mm-hmm. If I can just sort of maintain the position that says, I can believe and I can, can accept and assume that people are doing the best that they can. It makes me more generous. Mm-hmm. I think it makes me more patient and it makes it a little bit easier for me to find some grace in some otherwise graceless situations. There we go. There we go. Man, I love it. I love it. Man, that was a good one. There we go. All right. Well, that's a great topic. And the truth is it's so, this is such a, I mean, honestly, I think in many ways, this is kind of the topic of our time. I would recommend Ezra Klein's book, you know, why we're so divided. I think it's, there's, it's a really great way of looking at it. Now he doesn't have any great solutions for how we solve our political mess, but he does really kind of break down a lot of interesting stuff. So in that case, in that note, when you mentioned our founding documents, I actually do own a copy of the Constitution. And so I want to wrap up with the preamble because I think this comes to the point better than anything else either one of us is ever going to write. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. I hear Black Lives Matter in there. I hear Trans Lives Matter in there. I hear Christianity as a source of community and support. I hear politics having a role that has work to do. I hear so many things in that. Mm -hmm. I hear community through the military. I hear, you know, the, the need to have fair taxes and actually, you know, contribute to society. Like there's so many things in that. Um, And I think that at the end of the day, it's all about coming up with a way to define community. And maybe part of our problem right now is that it feels too big. And it's really hard to feel connected to 300 million people. Yeah. So start local. Making our world smaller. Exactly. Good stuff. Thank you, my friend. 
Thank you, my pal, and have a wonderful week. And you as well. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.